defend Molyneux you from. Free Domain, I hope you're doing well. Welcome, and I hope you're having a great Father's Day. If you're a father, I hope that you have great times with your father. If you are around your father, if your father has, I guess, recently shuffled off this mortal coil, like my father did of last uh, month or two, then I hope that you had a chance to achieve and receive closure and to have the conversations that you needed to have with your father. Hello, Nick. Hello, Daniel. Hello from New Zealand. Hey, everybody from New Zealand. I hope you're doing well with Comrade Arden. You love the show with Tommy Sotomayor? Yes, he was great. I'm sorry that it took me a while to get back to him. Hello from Brazil. Oh, that was a place I love to go and give speeches in. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, John from the UK. Hello from Ireland. Good day from Strays. I don't know what that means. Are you living with barn cats? Hello from Northwest Georgia, from Death Valley, Nevada, and uh, Louisiana. Hi there, San Antonio, upstate New York. Happy Father's Day, everybody. I hope you're doing from Mississauga. <laughs> I thought I heard something. Uh, I've already been to Brazil. Yes, I have already been to Brazil. You're very depressed, James. Hopefully we can help you out tonight and uh, have a nice chat with everyone. I hope you guys had a good, a good Father's Day. And, you know, for those of us who grew up without dads, it's a little bit of a melancholy time. But, you know, it does kind of seem in life that sometimes I don't want to take away the free will or the possibility that, uh, you know, uh, it is all just the matter of choice and focus, but uh, it does sort of feel in my life at least, and I, I sort of try and share this with you guys, that um, events kind of conspired to help me become a really good dad. And uh, that's an interesting thing, you know, when you think back, if you've had a really, you know, if, if you had a tough when you were a kid, right? And you don't want the, the tough stuff to have happened, right? You don't want the mean, nasty stuff to have happened. But I'll tell you this. Given how much fun it is and how great it is to be a good dad, I will tell you that um, it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it worth it, but it makes it okay. In other words, if I had to go through the childhood that I went through in order to become a really good dad, is it worth it? Is it worth it? These things are very complicated. These things are very tough. I mean, I'll go you one better, right? So um, to, to people sometimes who sort of listen to me on the, uh, on the internet, um, they think I have a kind of superpower, like being able to do controversial stuff and, and live with the blowback that comes from all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, it, it's quite a power in a way, right? I, I kind of get that. But... Um, I wouldn't have that strength if I hadn't gone through the childhood I went through. Now, as you know, as you guys know, I was raised a Christian. Now, if I were Christian, then what I would say is that God hardened me like steel to help God the world when a great evil was going to be taking over the world, or at least trying to take over the world. And let's not kid ourselves about that, man. This, this big Father's Day message, very, very black-hearted forces are at work in the world trying to overthrow um, the civilization that we've built. 
and uh, I feel, or it sort of appears to me like just about everything that I went through in my life prepared me for this kind of battle. And it's funny too, because my very favorite hymn when I was a kid was Onward Christian Soldiers. Well, God rest ye merry gentlemen, which we rephrased as God rest ye Jerry Mentalmen, because we couldn't let go of World War II, even though I was born 20 years after it ended. But Onward Christian Soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus. It's really, really good. And I just remember this, Christian soldiers marching as to war. It's not a war, but it's kind of like a war. And if we fail, those of us who are fighting the war of words, if we fail, the amount of bloodshed that slips through our fingers, if we fail, uh, will be uh, beyond historical scope. Hello from Houston. You like guys like my show with my daughter? Uh, that was a lot of fun. I actually recorded them a couple of months ago. I just hadn't got around to getting them out. And um, so I, I appreciate that you guys are enjoying them. We will, uh, we will keep plowing on. We were actually having quite a lot of fun listening to or reading through Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce, which is pretty much a random word salad of uh, Christian-hating leftism as a whole. Uh, I don't really see this. I didn't really see that stuff when I was young, but I sure see it now. Modern liberalism is a godless religion. Changed my mind. Well, it really can't change your mind. Did you see that people are out there getting baptized where George Floyd died? Like they're out there praying to St. George. It's really, um, I referred to it years ago as meism. It's like people who don't want the responsibility of religion and the organization, and they don't want the rules of religion, but they're more than happy to take this vague, karmic deism and it's just meism it's just stuff that they like suddenly becomes large and mystical and i really have a huge amount of contempt for people who won't take any of the rules of religion scorn the irrational epistemologies of religion the, the, the metaphysics of religion but but don't develop the discipline of philosophy and and don't have moral courage to speak the truth that is really horrifying. And the, I mean, the war between the left and the right. So the left is human beings stripped of the most essential aspect of our nature, which is universalization, which is why they can switch rules like this. You know, they can just say, oh, you know, it's really, really important. Forget about COVID. You got to have your rallies. And then the moment Trump wants a rally, it's like, hey, man, you got to watch out for COVID. It's really irresponsible to have these rallies because it's just this is power seeking. They don't universalize. And so you have very cunning animals that are extraordinarily dangerous. Now, they themselves don't believe in universals, they don't believe in virtues, they don't believe in values, but they know you do. Like in the same way, if somebody's genuinely a racist, you call them a racist, you know, this whole thing. If you, someone's genuinely racist, you call them a racist. They don't care. You know, like you call me bald, I'm like, yeah, good job, Eggman. Uh, a good job identifying the Eggman. But they know that you care about morals. They know that you care about fairness. So anyway, let's stay on. Let me just get to the chat window here. It's kind of scrolling past fast on you of on tubiness, but let me just go here and uh, just check out the chat. And I really want to, I want to get to your guys' thoughts about what it was like for you with regards to fatherhood, because we all have a very strong, very deep and very powerful relationship to fatherhood. Oof. 
very deep. I spend a lot of my childhood and youth uh, struggling and working on and trying to deal with the challenges of growing up without a father. And it doesn't matter whether you have a father, whether you are a father, it really doesn't even matter whether you're a man or not, because we all have such a very deep and powerful relationship to what it is to be a father. And I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts about this and, and what it's like for you with regards to fatherhood. If you have a father, if you are a father, if you didn't have a father uh, going, uh, growing up, what is it like for you guys and and also how was your father's day you know i mean there may be some sadness out there some great positivity some uh, cool stuff that uh, may be going on and uh, I, I would like to know uh, i would like to know uh, what's going on for you guys i'm so sorry let me just i haven't uh, done this uh, off the phone before uh, as as you can tell i am not in the studio i am the studio i am walking studio i am like phil collins not in the Stu's Stu Studio. Yeah, that's right. There's an 80s joke. That guy, man. Whew. Do you know that when he toured, Phil Collins, he had to save his voice for his... Um, uh, he had to save his voice for the concert, so he couldn't even talk to his kids on the phone. He used to fax them. It's really... It's kind of sad in a way, right? That you would give up on uh, all of that uh, time with your children uh, just because you want to sing. Now, of course, everybody who went to his concerts, you know, probably had a pretty good time. I liked his live show, so they're pretty good. I, I never saw him live, but uh, I did, of course, see the, um, uh, uh, I did uh, um, get a couple of his live albums. And I really liked it. And, uh, but yeah, so great for the audience. And I've always sort of tried to remember that. It's really important to have an audience that, that's in, enjoyable to you and you're enjoyable to the audience, but don't give up your personal relationship for the sake of the audience. All right. So let's see here. Let's see here. Lauren Southern is back and is now a proud centrist. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, she's been gone, of course. She got married. She became a mom. And uh, she's been, um, well, doing the motherhood thing, right? Doing the parenthood thing, which is kind of what she wanted to do and uh, what she talked about. And, yeah, I mean, w w without a doubt, the... Um, the center doesn't really exist anymore. And so, yeah, she's coming back and she's, you know, got centrist. Uh, she's got centrist viewpoints and so on. And, you know, hey, I mean, if she can bridge that gap, fantastic. But I think there are a lot of people out there who feel that and, you know, have good reasons to believe that the center doesn't really exist anymore and you got to pick a side. Uh, Lotus Blossom says, Happy Father's Day, Steph. I'm still so grateful that I got to speak with you and utilize the wisdom and clarity that you shared with me. Thank you so much, my friend. That is very, very Kind, when I hear the term baby mama or baby daddy, I instantly turn off any respect that I might have for the person. Well, sure, because, of course, in the past, we'd call that a husband and a wife. Um, yeah, and if you would like to help out, freedomain.com forward slash donate, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Let me just put a tiny pitch in here for the Subscribestar server, uh, the Discord server. Super fun out there. We really do have a lot of fun on that, and I hope you will come and... Uh, and uh, join it. Um, it's it's a lonely time, and I would say that it's kind of important to get a community around of some kind to deal with these really challenging things. 
somebody said, you helped me a lot with my war demons some years ago. It took a while, but your words helped me through a tremendously tumultuous period of my life. That is a wonderful thing to hear. I really, really appreciate that. I can't find a virtuous woman to begin enjoying Father's Day myself, unfortunately. Mm. That is tricky. And, and the only thing I can say is just keep working on your own virtue, and that will help the best. William Green says, hi, guys, from occupied Washington State. No kidding, eh? Uh, hello, Doomslayer. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny, right? Uh, it's so amazing for people to get to see the good father-daughter relationship you and your daughter have since most of us have never seen it before. I appreciate that. And, and of course, if it's any consolation, I hadn't seen it before either. So, yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't know how, how abstract story time do we really want to get. Nah, let's keep, let's keep it concrete for now. So, um, my daughter spent the weekend with some friends, uh, some of her good, well, one of her best friends. And it was interesting because my wife and I had, so we would see the friends during the day. But in the evening, well, she would go to her friends, have a sleepover, and uh, she was still sort of texting. Of course, it's late, right? So you have a sleepover, you stay up, and I don't know, break people's hair and talk about boys. I don't know. I don't know what goes on in these, <laughs> these covens of femininity. But uh, it was so funny because you wake up in the morning and... You know, you ever have a dimmer switch and, and, you know, you turn it down and there's a little click and you turn it off. So being a parent, right, you're always thinking about your kid in one form or another, in one way or another. And so if they're around, you're always like, you know, are they busy? Do they need to exercise? Are they hungry? Uh, you know, what, what are we going to do today? What would be fun for them and educational, all that kind of stuff. But when she was just like, gone, two nights, it was wild. I wake up in the morning and just start chatting. It's the thing with your, your parents, right? And you got kids around, like all the parent stuff, all the adult stuff you got to talk about, it always occurs like super late at night because it's the only time you ever get any privacy, right? And um, so, yeah, it was pretty wild. And of course, the other thing too, and, and I know this is the result of a strong bond, but she, she's so excited to go to her friend's place. And she's like, bye. And off she goes, it's like, my, my child. It's, you know, I mean, you know, that's how it's supposed to go, right? It's supposed to grow up and grow away from you and become self-sustaining and so on. But it was such a delightful thing being needed for so long. <laughs> I'm not ready to let it go. I'm not ready to let it go, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So uh, Sticky Wicket says, Stefan, what advice would you give for young men who want to pursue becoming a father in the future? Uh, well, to me, I think... You know, to me, the best thing to, to remember about becoming a father, or the best thing to, it, it's a memory exercise more than it is an educational exercise. So when you were a kid, I don't know if it was the case for you, but for me, I really did want to please people. And I really did want to get the approval of the teachers and the headmasters and, and so on. And I felt that because I was eager to please and eager to be a good student and eager to, um, you know, make them proud of me and do well in sports and all that, like all, I don't know if it's a European thing or whatever, but all kind of programmed to just really please those in authority. And I remember thinking, like, why are they so harsh? Like at boarding school, you could, I got caned, uh, you know, at home, I got hit a lot. And, and in, even at school, you couldn't hit in school, but you you got a lot of this kind of humiliation and stuff like that. And I just remember thinking like, well, don't you just need a really light touch? Because we're all pretty eager to please. So why on earth are you 
crapping on everyone and hitting people and so on. It's, it's just kind of weird. It's sort of like stalking someone who's already agreed to go on a date with you. <laughs> you already sealed the deal, at least for the first date. So. so just remember what it was like being a child and remember what you liked and remember what you didn't like. And if you like, I knew my daughter was going to be eager to please me. And but I also knew that I really shouldn't ever take advantage of that. And I should never pressure her based upon that. And I should never use it as any kind of weapon against her, like the withdrawal of approval. So just remember how eager you were to please, how happy you were when your parents approved of you, how cuddly you were, how affectionate you were and all of that. If you remember all of that and just trust that, you know, it's a horrible thing. I was just talking about this with my daughter the other day. It's a horrible thing that people say when you are a parent and you are transmitting values to your kids. And you know what people say? It's always just wretched. What they say is, you know, like, so I did this show. I did a couple of shows on, uh, you know, my daughter went through the Communist Manifesto, right? So do you know what people say? It's really nasty and really, really corrupt. What they say is, oh, yeah? Well, you just, you just wait, man. You wait till your daughter becomes a teenager and she rebels against you. She's going to become a pure communist or whatever it is, right? And people have even more sinister theories than that about how things are going to play out. And it's really, it's a nasty, horrible, mean, ugly, underhanded, vicious and corrupt thing to say. I, and I say that for people who are conscious of it. If you're unconscious of it, no problem. And the reason is because then what they're trying to do is they're trying to not get you or get you to not transmit any deep values to your children for fear of the click, boom, IED, leg loss, blowback, blowback that's going to come when they're teenagers, right? So like you can't teach your kids about how bad communism is because then they'll rebel against you when they become teenagers and become full communists. It's like, okay, well, what, what value should I teach them then? If, if every single value that I'm going to teach them is going to be corrupted and turned against me when they become teenagers, it's just a way to trick you into not teaching any values at all because that's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. My wife and I are not going to get divorced. My daughter's not going to turn on me and she's going to be sensible. You know, it's funny because, I mean, it completely does not accord with human history. I mean, think of the history of the West, right? I mean, we've, we've still got values that came from Socrates. So if everything is just blowback, and rebellion and, and pushback and, and you get the opposite of what you instruct, then there's no way there could be any cultural continuity for any ethnicity, any religion, any group at all. Do they say that to, to Muslims? Oh, well, you can't teach your kids about Islam because they're just going to go complete opposite direction. It, it, it's a really terrible, terrible piece of advice. It's false. It's a lie. And it gets you to not teach your values for fear of blowback. So... Uh, yeah, just, it's it's memory exercise. Remember what you liked about being a kid. Uh, Floyd died, oh, this George Floyd died on his own account, hyped up into cardiac arrest. Well, so a couple of thoughts, you know, I get this, I have, a pretty, I have a pretty wild inbox and I love the emails that I get, except for one this weekend. But um, I had a, 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 a cop with 40 years experience. Um, gee, you know what, I could probably bring that up. So uh, I'll see if I can find it. Um, but it was very, uh, very interesting what he had to say. And I do get this really uh, wild uh, inbox 
that really gives me a lot of insights into uh, the stuff that's happening uh, in, in the world. So uh, let me just see if I can uh, dig it up here. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Here I got it. I got it. All right. So this is from a fellow. He says, what many don't see in this entire issue, from my perspective, of over 40 years law enforcement officer, from the start, Floyd had 90% blockage of one artery of his heart. He also had 75% blockage on another. Therefore, the oxygen flow to his heart and brain are limited. He has meth and fentanyl in his system. He obviously is a smoker, which restricts the ability for the lungs to transfer oxygen into the bloodstream. The second circulation issue which is the second circulation issue. His he further had COVID-19, another condition restricting the transfer of oxygen into the bloodstream. If he were to be in that condition in a doctor's office, he would have taken, been taken to a hospital for some type of treatment or surgery. I've read with COVID-19 that many cannot walk to the end of a hallway without being out of breath. He said, from personal experience, I've had a post-motorcycle accident where I had broken ribs and a punctured lung. I insisted I couldn't breathe. However, I was transferring oxygen into my lungs. But because of the fluid in my lungs, I couldn't transfer oxygen in quantity enough. So my brain told me I couldn't breathe, as I insisted to the medical personnel. Setting up with the fluid in the bottom of my lungs, I could get sufficient oxygen flow. Prone position, I could not, and got uncontrollable and near violent. In my case, they administered a chest tube, which removed the fluid, and at that point, I could transfer the oxygen into my bloodstream. Other than that, I had no other circulatory issues, unlike Floyd, who had many other issues li limiting his oxygen intake. As to the, uh, add to the oxygen restriction, the ocean of resisting arrest, and you have a perfect storm for his heart failure. Now addressing his restraint, he had been put into the car, but was going through the violent behavior, uh, as was listed above. I know one can become extremely violent. Being cuffed would make it worse. So who's removed from the car? These cops are not doctors, and unless they have had a similar experience as I, would not have suspected the issue. Some say, well, sit him up. There is no reason to. He obviously was on something, so you must lay him face down and turn the head to the side, as they did, just in case he should vomit, so he won't drown in his own vomit or swallow his tongue. If he, and he was, is thrashing around, his head has to be secured. I've seen people on drugs beat their heads into anything to the point I've seen them do significant damage and even knock themselves out. The hold down. There are two carotid arteries, one on each side, as I know you're aware. A person can live with one intact. Many people with one totally blocked carotid artery are walking the streets today. A cardiologist, you yourself, don't recommend it, but this is what he says. You yourself can take a thumb and block your own carotid on one side and see if it changes your abilities. Even at that, a knee at the back of the neck doesn't contact the carotid artery. Uh, I intend to video myself with someone kneeling on my back just to prove this point. If you add up the reasons leading to Floyd being unable to breathe, unable to get enough oxygen, Floyd was a dead man walking for any number of reasons. The resisting was just the spark that brought all of this to a head that day. Blockages, meth, fentanyl, which can be deadly on its own in small amounts, COVID-19, smoker. At best, he was getting the bare minimum of oxygen to maintain life. Throw in the fight with the police and being laid down flat, all of which brought on by his criminal behavior is what created the condition that caused his death, which I thought was uh, pretty... Uh, it's a pretty powerful way of, of discussing it. And again, we'll find out over the course of the trial. But you really, 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 really should expect and prepare for a not guilty verdict. I'm just telling you, you should be prepared for the fallout that's going to happen with a not guilty verdict because they're way overcharged 
and it is just going to be bad. Another person was saying, and I don't know how you take fentanyl, but another person was saying, uh, they emailed me and they were saying, uh, Steph, so probably the reason why he couldn't give the cigarettes back is he'd already put fentanyl in them. I don't know, do you smoke fentanyl through cigarettes? Because um, that was the case with Mike Brown. He picked up these, um, what's it, these Swisher or these, these uh, cigars so that you could scrape out the tobacco and put in marijuana or something like that. So, Happy Father's Day, Sister Lion King. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to you. As well, feminists are trying to suppress Father's Day. Well, sure. I'm sure they are, of course. Because remember, feminism was not started by Christians, right? So when feminists are talking about, like, it's really, really important to understand with regards to fathers and masculinity, groups are not talking about who you think they're talking about. Because you sit there and say, well, why were Christians, sorry, why were feminists so angry at men and, and so angry at the patriarchy and this and that? Well, you've got to remember, feminism was not started by Christians. Um, a lot of communists, a lot of socialists, some Jews and so on. Of course, a couple of Christians. For the most part, when you're hearing about how terrible men are, what pigs they are, how patriarchal they are, how bossy they are, how horrible they are, you're not hearing about the kind of men that you know or the kind of good father that you grew up with if you grew up with a good dad. You're hearing about, it's a confession of these extremes within the communist community, socialist community, maybe the Jewish community. You're hearing about what the men are like in those communities. So women are like, well, men are all pigs. What they're saying is that the men they know are all pigs, and Christian men tend to be pretty pretty solid, pretty um, respectable, and, and they provide and they protect and all that kind of stuff. So um, they're not talking about masculinity. They're talking about the men in their particular uh, social circle. And, you know, I mean, you, you've... you've um, You've heard me debate with a whole bunch of communists and socialists lately. Oh, I've got another debate coming up as well that uh, I guess I could announce it here too. Uh, Thursday, July the 2nd, uh, it's going to be uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm debating another professor who is a uh, leftist uh, and, and, and um, not Antifa, but sympathetic to Antifa. So we're going to have a uh, pretty... Strength, strong conversation about all of that. But when you hear the, the hard leftists talking about how terrible men are or how, right, they're, they're just talking about the men in their social circles. They're talking about the other male leftists, the other male communists and so on. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. John says, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day back to you as well. Aisha, Aisha says, happy Father's Day. Your daughter is blessed to have you. Well, thank you very much. I'm very, very lucky to have her as well. Um... Parahelan says, divorced, parents divorced at age nine, father called me stupid and useless, drank too much, he died last year. Ugh. I, um, I'm very sorry to hear that, my, my friend, I'm so sorry to hear that. That is, um, I can't imagine. Like, you know, every now and then, I'll still be looking at my daughter, and I'll sit there and say, how far would I have to travel down the dank well of evil doing? How far down that dank well would I have to travel in order to end up doing to my daughter what my mother did to me? Like, how absolutely appalling and wretched would it be? How monstrous a situation would I have to end up in to end up doing to my daughter what my mother did to me? And it is genuinely incomprehensible to me how somebody ends up in a situation where they're beating up a child or they're verbally abusing a child. I mean, it is just so absolutely wretched and appalling. And 
it, it kills the soul. You know, it it kills the soul. And Jesus said, you know, whatever you do to the least among you, so do you also do to me. And that's a very powerful statement. If you view Jesus as a philosopher rather than the son of God, it's still a very powerful statement. You can't be happy if you harm a child. You can't be happy if you harm a child. I, and I don't mean deny a child too much candy. I mean, like you genuinely, maliciously hurt and torment and torture a child. And here's the thing, man, it's the real reality of this world is that the vast majority of people harm children. And whether it's malicious or unintentional or simply a lack of education, which is no excuse because you know you're going to become a parent, you've got some warning, and if you're not ready, uh, then it's, your, it's, your, it's on you. It's on you to not be ready, to not have prepared, to not have planned. And given that we all were children and we remember what it was like to be a child, you know, I mean, I treat my wife wonderfully. I've never been a woman, uh, but I was a child. And so you should have, of course, basic empathy for that. And all those who treat you, you see someone who's really uncomfortable in their own skin. I mean, you see trolls. I think trolls very much have uh, been harmed as children. And trolls have themselves, this is called the dark triad of the personality, but trolls themselves have almost certainly, in my experience, in, in, in my understanding, in my conversations with, with trolls, yeah, they, they're child abusers. Uh, and they may have not been, they may not have children of their own to abuse, uh, but they may have been old children who abused younger children, particularly older siblings who abuse younger siblings. I've seen this play out in so many different circumstances and so many different scenarios. This is the annoying, you know, I'm going to be 54 this year. And I've now seen a long enough story arc of people's lives that if you harm children, you lose your soul. You lose your soul and please don't whatever you do don't harm children if you have if you have then do what you can to make amends you know i gosh some years ago i sent a message to i still remember her name when i first came to canada i was a, a girl befriended me and she asked me to go steady with her and I had no idea what that meant. No idea. And I said, no, because I generally don't like saying yes to things. I don't know what they are. And she was hurt, really hurt and really upset. And I remembered that. I was 11 at the time or something like that. And a very nice girl. And I ended up finding her and sending her a message saying, listen, I'm really sorry. Um, I didn't know what it meant. I, 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 that's why. And of course, what I should have done is once I found out what it meant, which is like a year or two later, I should have gone and told her that. Because these little things, they really matter to people. I'm not saying that she has some tortured life because I didn't go steady with her when I was 11. But it really matters. Like if you've done someone wrong, it really, it really helps. It doesn't matter if it's not too significant, but like it really helps to go and just tell that person what happened and say, you know, this was my thinking, this was... It, it, it's like one of the great things my father did to me was on a bus trip from Toronto to Montreal. I came to stay with me a couple of days with my girlfriend and I for a couple of days when I was in theater school. And on that bus trip, he told me the story of his life. Why he'd made some of the decisions that he made, why he'd done what he did, right? And so like he stepped, there's that great Paul Simon song, really heartbreaking song. And I know a father who had a son he longed to tell him all the reasons for the things he'd done. He came a long way just to explain. 
He kissed his boy as he lay sleeping, then he turned around and headed home again. And we do have a, a strong desire to explain ourselves to the world. This is part of what my, my show is all about, right? Be someone who explains yourself to the world. Be someone who gives people the comfort of knowing it's not all about them. And if you're having a bad day because you had a fight with your girlfriend and you're with people at work, just say, I'm having a bad day. You're going to tell them about the fight with the girlfriend or not, but just say, I'm having a bad day. It's nothing to do with you. I do apologize. You know, because we all try and make it all about ourselves. And I'm aware of this as well. I, I mean, this is one of the reasons I'm kind of bulletproof to insults. I'm happy to take feedback, but bulletproof to insults because I know it's not about me. You know, it's like, I was thinking about this the other day. And you guys let me know. Push why if you think I should do another debate with uh, Stephen Woodward, I think was his name, Rationality Rules. We did a debate uh, and uh, on UPB, on Universally Preferable Behavior. Uh, let push why if you'd like me to do an, another debate with him because we did talk about doing uh, another one. I don't view him as a particularly honorable actor at the moment because, uh, well, for reasons I went to um, because he asked me for feedback on something and I put it in after the debate. But... Um, I, you know, people get really angry at my theory of ethics. Like, it's kind of irrational, right? I mean, I have this whole theory of ethics called universally preferable behavior. And people have made like 20-minute, half-hour, 45-minute videos. There's a discussion board, just anger, anger, anger towards this theory of ethics. Anger to, and they think it's about me. It's not, not about me. I'm very happy with the theory of ethics. And even rationality rules admitted that my theory of ethics proves that rape, theft, assault, and murder can never be universally preferable behavior and must be banned. And he admitted that in the debate. Now, that's the whole thing, man. If, if, if that's, the whole, that's the whole debate. It's like when I debated uh, that guy, Caleb, who was uh, who, about whether the fall of the Soviet Union was a good or bad thing, and he was like, it was a bad thing because uh, under communism, the GDP of Russia increased. And I said, well, under Nazi Germany, when they built concentration camps, their GDP increased and He's like, eventually I got to say, well, yes, and that was a good thing. And it's like, you know, if you're saying it's a good thing that the Nazis are building camps, you just keep going. I mean, that's a major malfunction in your basic empathy processing. But yeah, like, so why, why do people get so angry at universally preferable behavior? Why did they get so enriched? Why do they get so, like, they swear at it, they get really mad at it? It's not about me. It's not about me. A lot of them are atheists, and they fled religion because they didn't like the moral rules of religion. And then if they run smack dab UPB, which I think has an even more powerful set of universal rules than most religions, then they have not escaped religion. Sorry, they've not escaped ethics by escaping religion. And they don't get to create some subjective, amorphous, Sam Harris-style moral landscape, greatest good for the greatest number bullshit, which has nothing to do with ethics. Ethics is not a dopamine vote. Ethics is not, well, you know, this seems to make a lot of people happy and, and it seems to be positive for people and therefore it's good and it doesn't matter how we get there. That's all just garbage. That is the, that's the fascism of feels, right? That's just, it's like, it's like living your life according to the pleasure, the pleasure principle. It's basically just hedonism uh, spread thin over a population, always with a small elite group who gets to judge what's best for people who can use all the force they want to control people. But you know, why, why do people get so angry at UPB? Even though they admit that it bans rape, theft, assault, and murder, which is a good thing, right? 
Well, because they have a bad conscience. UPB. UPB is the conscience because UPB universalizes morality, which is kind of what we do deep down. So, yeah, why, I don't take it personally. Like, well, so mad at me, so mad at me. I remember when I was selling novels or trying to sell novels to, uh, to publishers, I wrote this novel called The God of Atheists, a great, great book. Man, I worked hard on that. And I had a, um, a tutor. I had a tutor, Elizabeth Harver, at the Humber School of Writers. She liked the book. I liked the book. Loved the book. And I had an agent, and the agent sent it out to, she says, I think it's really good, but, you know, I want to get a second opinion. And she sent it out to a guy, a PhD in literature, who did book reviews. And he's like, this is the great Canadian novel. This is what Canadian literature has been waiting for year after year after year. This is one of the most amazing things I've ever read. And it was just like so incredibly positive and I was so thrilled. And I remember I was at work because I was uh, still running um, software. I was, I was a director of marketing at this point in my software career. And I remember every time the phone rang, I'm like, well, that's it. I'm going to take this job and shove it because I'm getting the contract. And then the book was sent around to various publishers and the various publishers went psycho on it. They just hated it. The book is a, it's a great story. I'll tell it to you very, very briefly. There's no spoilers here. It's about a group of children decide, because one of them really gets into philosophy, they decide to start morally questioning their parents using the Socratic method. And the mayhem that this produces in their little corner of society is truly staggering. And the parents, of course, get really mad. So people got really, really angry at this book. Like, again, just irrationally. Like, okay, you don't like the book. It's not your taste. But, you know, it's not, it's not my encounter for God's sakes. <laughs> but, but because I think deep down they imagine, well, one of two things happen. Either they imagine that their children are going to start questioning them, or they start, or they have the imagination that they, as their children, would morally question their own parents. In fundamental ways. In fundamental ways. Um, because when we're parents, the great temptation is to give our children moral absolutes. But then when our children question us, we get all relativistic. So, of course, we say to our children, don't hit, right? But then if we spank our children, we get all relativistic, right? And we say to our children, don't steal. And if they say, well, isn't taxation theft? Then we get all, well, society good and majority and democracy. And it's like, none of that. We didn't give any of them nuance. We just give them simple moral rules when they're kids. But then when they question us, then we get all kinds of, it's complicated. It's relativistic and it's subjective. And there's the social consideration. None of that shit did we ever tell them as kids. So yeah, the kids start morally examining their parents and their whole society begins to unravel because the parents can't handle even basic moral questions. It's a really, really great book. Uh, and um, I, I've got, you know, I'll put it out as an audio book to my subscribe star listeners. I did record the audio book many years ago, and it's really, really great. So, all right, sorry, let me get back to your, uh, your lovely questions here. No, 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 let's zoom up a little here. All right, let's get down to where things are at. Bar is deep state. Yeah, I think bar is kind of compromised. Uh, how do you review your debate with Dr. Ben Burgess? Um, 
You know, it's funny because I do think about doing debate reviews, but they'd be so long. As I got a course and, and, you know, here's what's happening. And, 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 hey, push Y if you want me to do debate reviews, but they would literally be like four hours at least. At least. Your daughter seems like a real smart cookie. Genetics works. Yeah, you know, this is... Look, I, I think it's great that people adopt. I think it's great. But I got to tell you, you know, since it's Father's Day, and I always want to be honest with you guys, I don't really think that I would be a super great or as good a dad to a kid who wasn't as smart. And this is why so genetics generally matches up levels of intelligence to levels of intelligence. Like, there's regression to the mean and this, that, and the other, right? But... Genetics does tend to put smart kids with smart parents and, and average kids with average parents and, you know, duller kids with duller parents and so on. And so, you know, this thing with, um, with uh, adoption is you really are rolling the dice. And, of course, you are generally getting kids from moms who were too chaotic to get married or, or be in a stable relationship, whatever. So, yeah, you really are. Uh, you really are. Steph, are you familiar with praxeology? Would you consider UPB a praxeological approach to ethics? I would just say philosophical approach to ethics. I actually did a show many years ago with a woman called Praxeal, uh, and she does praxeological approaches. It's very good in economics. So, uh, UPB, universally preferable behavior. Stefan, have you done a video on the opioid epidemic? You know, I'd really like to. I'd really like to. Um, so I had geared my year, just as I had, I guess, 2015, 2016, I had geared my year to election coverage. But there's not much point doing election coverage at the moment. So the left is doing such a wild PR job for Trump and showing such a stark contrast, right? As you see, this leftist rallies, you know, there's, there's violence, there's aggression and so on. And then you see the conservative rallies, which are, you know, pretty peaceful and, and all of that. And, you know, the conservatives aren't taking over sections of Seattle, not that they'd ever be allowed to. Can you imagine if you were a conservative and you tried to take over a section of a city? I mean, they call it the airstrikes. But um, so I don't know that there's much to do with regards to the election. Um, I don't know any presentation that I could put together that would be more vivid than watching cities burn to the ground, right? I mean, I just, it's pretty wild, right? All right, let's see here. Pulsar Light says, bigger bullshit holiday, Father's Day or Mother's Day? Do we really need trivial holidays like that? I'll give you a little tip here. When you say we, to anybody with half a brain, you've completely weakened your argument, right? We is weakened your argument, right? Or when you say nobody or everybody, and it's just you who's saying something, if you have a good argument, you don't need to buttress it Aragorn and the ghosts under the mountain style with a whole bunch of phantom people in your head, right? So, you know, somebody says, um, somebody said to me the other day, like, no, you can't what you think, you know? Okay, I've got uh, well, 1.5 million followers on social media, probably close to 2 million if you count the other platforms I'm involved in. 
you know, Gab and, and Parler and Telegram and, and, you know, lots of places, which I really strongly recommend you follow me on as well, because, well, because. So, you know, I've close to 2 million followers. And when someone says, no one cares what you think, I'm just out of curiosity. I went, the guy has like 22 people following him. So when he says no one, it's not like, he can't say, I don't care what you think. Because that's just, okay, well, so what, right? But he's got to say no one or, you know, we, n none of us or, or, you know, everybody ignores you. Or, like he's got to pretend, he's got to draw these ghosts behind his argument so that you try and take him more seriously. But all it does is, is make you, make any, any sensible person is just going to take you less seriously if you invent imaginary friends who agree with you. Like it's, it's very, very sad. So when you say we don't need these happy little holidays, like Mother's Day or Father's Day. You're just saying, I don't need them, or I don't want them, or I don't like them. And you just got to be honest, right? The first thing that you want to do, if you want to get good people around you, if you want honorable people around you, is just be honest. Is just be honest. And so if you're inventing imaginary friends to buttress up your perspective because you can't come up with a decent argument, all you're doing is is... Nobody with a shred of, of commitment to honesty is going to have any interest in what you have to say. So I'm just pointing this out. Uh, Double Doobie. Double Doobie says, hey, Steph, I love your stuff. You have become something of a father figure in my life. I've heard that quite a bit. And I'm glad I'm the father figure that's not the Tom Likas father figure uh, because that is a very bad way to go in general. So... Um, Oh, yeah, uh, the opioid epidemic. Sorry, I, I, I forgot that point. So I would like to get back into it. It's been pretty crazy uh, covering the news lately. And I know some of you guys are kind of torn, and I, I really do listen to this stuff. Some of you guys are kind of torn, like, um, it's really great when you cover the news, or, man, can you do more philosophy, or I really like your deep-dive historical stuff, um, you know, the, the Roman Empire, the George um, Washington stuff. Uh, I, I, yeah, but that stuff takes so long. It was a lot easier. Like, I used to have a producer... And he would do some of the more contemporary stuff, like some of the new stuff, and I would do some of the deeper dive stuff. So it's tough. It's tough. You know, it's always hard to know. Like, I'm not in this for the money because, um, you know, I took a massive pay cut to get going on this thing. <laughs> this is not a, this is not a, 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 you know, a cash-in kind of thing. I give away all my books for free. I don't take ads. And, you know, if you haven't donated, just think of how much time. If you, if you watched a couple of hundred shows, I've saved you Probably an entire work week of ads, you know, not having ads saves you a lot of time. Uh, and um, so yeah, if you can help me out at freedomain.com forward slash I would really, really uh, appreciate it. And that's a great, very kind thing. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not super into it for the money, but I am sort of concerned to some degree that, you know, if I take a week or two off to do a deep dive into some historical thing that... Uh, you know, what happens to donations if I don't produce anything for a week or two. So um, I, I've got some researchers on the side and we're working on some stuff uh, that I think will help. And um, I did have a whole presentation on IQ that, uh, well, I, uh, <laughs> one day I'm sure it will come out. One day I'm sure it will, it will come out. Uh, debate with destiny when? Um, you know, I guess have a, you know, if we can have a, um, if we can have a good topic, that would be great. Uh, are you at a water park? Oh, because, because of this? I uh, know. 
now. Let's see here. Opioid epidemic with Gabor Mate. I like Gabor Mate. I'm not sure he would. My show has shifted quite a bit <laughs> since people were on, or I guess I've taken on even more controversial topics or whatever. So uh, let's see here. Oh, the first known Father's Day service occurred in Fairmont, West Virginia on July 5th, 1908, after hundreds of men died in the worst mining accident in U.S. history. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. I started following your work at the Roman Empire videos years ago. Love you, but Adblock works too. Uh, but it doesn't, though. Like, so if I put ads in my podcasts, then it doesn't. If I, if I were to embed ads in my videos, if I were to, like, it doesn't really, it doesn't be work so all right let's see here do you accept bitcoin or altcoin altcoins for donations i certainly do freedomain.com forward slash donate you can see a whole bunch of stuff there as well ah let's see here will you continue to do talks with dr duke pester yes i will um a lot of black holidays for a supposedly racist country when is it going to end? MLK Day, Juneteenth, George Floyd Day, Black History Month. Well, but see, none of this stuff has anything to do with race, right? I mean, I mean, this isn't even like black pills or anything. This is just, I mean, nothing. Have, look, you understand that the Black Lives Matter organizers just committed Marxists. So it has nothing to do with race. So, you know, if, if people cared about slavery, they would go to Africa, uh, we go to the Middle East, and there are certain dank sections of Israel where apparently you can still buy slaves, uh, mostly white girls, I think. So if you really cared about slavery, you'd go to India where they have textile mills where they've had multi-generational slaves that never get to leave. So if you cared about slavery, the last place you'd go to is America, which has the richest black population in the entire world which had slavery for a grand total of 84 years, because you can't count the time before America became a country because it inherited slavery from the British. And so America had slaves for just about the shortest amount of time in world history. America fought a brutal civil war where hundreds of thousands of mostly white boys died for the ostensible purpose of ending slavery and freeing the slaves. And the British Empire spent so much money buying the freedom of slaves. That it, it was 1833 when it spent the money. It only finished paying off that debt in 2015. Right? The end of slavery was the foundation of the modern world. You cannot have the modern world while there is still slavery because labor-saving devices is the foundation of our wealth. And there's no incentive, the counter-incentive to invest in labor-saving devices if you just spent all your money on buying slaves. Like, why would you want to buy a combine harvester if you just invested in 100 slaves to till your farm. You wouldn't because it would lower the value of your slaves. So this is why there was no industrial revolution in the ancient world, in ancient Rome, ancient Greece, which had the steam engine and had a whole bunch of technology which they knew about, but there was just no... So the British Empire, Christians, Wilberforce and so on, I've got to hold the truth about slavery plantation. So the British Empire and white Western European Christian males get the greatest moral prize and the greatest moral honor in all of human history, which was the ending of the permanent, perpetual, universal state of slavery 
across the world, all throughout human history. Do you know who the biggest slave owners were in America after slavery was ended after the Civil War? Comanche. There were slaves in the indigenous populations in Australia, and there were slaves in the indigenous population, the Maori, in New Zealand. There was slavery in the Middle East, of course. I mean, the, um, the whole Tripoli part of the um, Marines' theme song was because of Muslims taking slaves. The Muslims took tens of millions of slaves from Africa, castrated the men. 90% of the men did not survive that castration, which is why there's not a big black population in the Middle East. They killed their slaves for the most, most part and kept those. Those they kept uh, could never reproduce. And there is, of course, still slavery in non-white countries. So there's no slavery in white countries. There was never any slavery in, well, slavery was ended in Canada in the 18th century when there were precisely 14 blacks in Toronto. So whites ended slavery, not just in their own countries, but for the most part around the world. And that's who rescued the blacks and of course the whites. Two million white Europeans were taken, which is five times the number of slaves, black slaves that were taken to America. Two million white slaves were taken to the Middle East where they were treated extraordinarily brutally, which is why there's still a population of blacks in America, but there's not a population of whites or blacks in the Middle East because they were treated so brutally and mostly died uh, or were, were killed in the process of rendering them infertile. Or their, you know, their women were raped because all sex with a slave is rape, right? And so if the women were raped, then their children would, would have either been genetically assimilated or if they were too white and blonde, but had just been killed. There were slaves, the Irish were taken as slaves to the Barbados. Like, you know all of this stuff, right? And so the idea that you're just going to scream about slavery to the Americans who fought a war to end slavery or to the British who burned up treasure and blood in the moral Christian crusade to end slavery around the world. You know, it wasn't the blacks from Africa who came to rescue the slaves. It wasn't the blacks from Africa who came to rescue the white slaves. But I'll tell you this, if my ancestors had been rescued from slavery by blacks, the idea that I would scream you enslaving bastards at the blacks and not have any sense of gratitude for the black culture that produced the worldwide ban on slavery that was affected by the British Empire, the idea that I would look back and just scream, you enslaving racist bastards, when it was the blacks who freed my ancestors. You know, the attitude of gratitude can take you a long way in life. So uh, please understand, this, this stuff is nothing to do with enslavement. It's not, nothing to do with any of that stuff. Black Lives Matter could have taken the tens of millions of dollars, more I think, that they got from George Soros. They could have taken that money and they could have gone to Libya and they could have freed all of the slaves in Libya by buying their freedom. They could have actually ended contemporary current slavery by taking the money and taking it to Africa or taking it to India and freeing the slaves. That would have been giving a shit about slavery. But they don't give a shit about slavery. They just use it as a weapon to help overthrow the Republic. Uh, I do have a Telegram channel. Let me just uh, mention it. To you, my lovely friends. And um, let me just see here. 40 billion dollars needed to eradicate slavery today. Yeah, I guess it could be, right? I guess it could be. So yeah, uh, uh, t.me forward slash free domain radio. t.me forward slash free domain 
ready. Uh, that is uh, that is my turn. Uh, let's see here. Any other questions or to the shores of Tripoli? Yeah, to the shores of Tripoli, right? Yeah, Black Lives Matter wants to end America as we know it. Yeah, absolutely question. Absolutely no question. Absolutely no question they do. Every society was built on the back of slaves. Uh, no, see, this is the thing, right? Um, no modern society was built on the backs of slaves. Um, slavery had existed throughout all of human history. And if you look at all the human history, it was mostly a complete flat line with no progress. Uh, and civilization is built on labor-saving devices, which is the opposite of slavery. You cannot get labor-saving devices until labor becomes expensive, which requires a free market and self-ownership, right? You can't both be property and own property. And so no modern society was built on slavery. All modern societies are built on the repudiation of slavery. Now you say, ah, yes, well, China has slaves and, and, and India has slaves and so on. Yes, and they would remain their primitive societies uh, if it wasn't for the Western technology that came out of the end of slavery. So, Man, he keeps reading my posts. I'm so happy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, built on the backs of slaves. That's just a, a, a reparations thing, right? It's just a reparations thing, right? It, look, if you want to, want, want to have a debate with someone, um, you know, I invite you to take it on. Like, you make it happen. Make it a debate happen. And by the way, should I tell you? Um, there's big news coming up for the show. Big news coming up for the show. Positive news. Big positive news coming up for the show. I am going to get back into documentaries. And I have one that is going to be so good. Literally something I have been thinking about since I was in my mid-teens. So we're talking four decades. I'm going to take on the topic. It's going to be pricey. But it's going to be worth it. Anyway, so that's, that's coming on. Steph, have you acknowledged the presence of Groypers, or do you ascribe no validity to their nationalist ideals? I think the Groypers are well worth following. I think they're very interesting. I have no more issue with their nationalism than I have an issue with Jewish nationalism, or I have an issue with Indian nationalism, or I have an issue with Ghanaian nationalism. I have no issue with their nationalism at all. So, I keep meaning to watch the Poland and Hong Kong documentaries. Well, do it, man. They're really, really good. Um, are you enjoying the communist revolution? It's not that great. It's not that great. Um, it's not that great. And part of me always wonders if it's just so heavily promoted because of like-minded interests in the media. So, Steph, your outlook on life rejuvenated my spirit. Well, thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. What do you think of Lauren Southern's return to media? The more voices, the better. The more people in conversation, the better. I, I do think that Paul Joseph Watson, that level of rage is just bizarre to me and does not seem to come from a very clear mind. It just, you know, we've got bigger fish to fry. But here's the thing, too. So there's an interesting thing with Lauren Southern, right? 
so Lauren is kind of like the princess of the movement in a way, if you want to call it a movement, because I mean, she has a lot of moral courage and she's very articulate and she's very pretty, right? Very pretty girl. And so you ever have this thing where if you have a crush on someone, even if you're never going to meet that person in any sort of realistic scenario, when they get married, you're like, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I mean, I've never had a crush on Lauren Southern. She's a very pretty girl, but I'm happily married and she's a colleague or anything like that. But I think, I think for a lot of people, I, I did have one many years ago. I think it was, gosh, it's been so long since I've been single. I think it was uh, Sandra Bullock when she was younger or something like that. Anyway, and then Sandra Bullock got married. And like, when am I going to meet Sandra Bullock? Not going to happen, right? And, and even if I were to meet her, what are the odds that Sandra Bullock, even if I was single, would be like, hmm, Canadian podcaster, let's go, big boy. Right? So no, no, no possibility in this or any other lifetime. Plus, you know, she's been in Hollywood for so long, and I think she and that Australian actress, Kate, someone or other, Kate Blanchett, she and Kate Blanchett were in an ad, if I remember rightly, for that facial cream that's made from the foreskins of babies who got the end of their penises amputated through circumcision. It was nasty stuff, nasty stuff. But um, anyway, so but when Sandra Bullock got married, I was like, ah. Or when Jennifer Garner got married, I used to watch Alias, very pretty girl, right? And a talented actress. And and when she got married, and she got married after I was got married, happily married. But I was like, oh yeah, I can remember. I'd be like, ah. And so, so I think for people, when Lauren Southern, now that she's married and she's a mom and, and all of that, she's off the market, right? So I think for a lot of people, they're like, maybe they thought, well, I would have gone to one of her. I would have gone to one of her book signings, or I would have gone to one of her speeches, and I would have sat with her, and she would have that spark. And, and, you know, so I think for a lot of people, there's this, like, they were, they're kind of, mad. it's like spurned, like they're the spurned lovers, almost in their own minds. And this makes them sound crazy. I don't mean it that way at all, because we're not really designed to have face-to-face -face conversations with people we never know, like this whole thing where we're talking to screens and so on, right? And so I think for some people, maybe Paul's in that category, it's like, they can let loose their anger towards her because now she's off the market. They don't have to be nice to her because they can't date her. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I don't know. But it just seems pretty, pretty wild. So was Churchill responsible for the Bengal famine? No. No. Um, Churchill was not responsible for the Bengal famine. Um, Churchill left India. He called it the jewel of the empire. He was a huge fan of India. And so the Bengal famine, I think it was in 43. Um, there had been famines all throughout the history of India. And it's really, really important to remember that when the West came along with technology and railroads and irrigation and better farming methods and crop rotation and manure and, and all of this sort of stuff, they produced a massive amount of food that was not there before. And not only a massive amount of food, the capacity to transport it across. Like in, in Europe, you could literally have one town which had food rotting in the fields, they had so much food, and another town, like 20 miles away, where people were starving. And because there was not any particular communications or knowledge or even transporting grain 20 miles, like through forests, across muddy tracks, I mean, it's really virtually impossible, right? So when you get Western technology and you get Western transportation and you get Western medicine and you get plumbing and indoor toilets and like all of this sort of stuff 
the population swells enormously. This is something Edward Dutton's been talking about lately, about how it's been basically two centuries since we've had strong evolutionary pressures. About, about two centuries since we've had strong evolutionary pressures. And I think his theory is that a lot of the hard leftists come out of that lack of evolutionary pressure and all that. I mean, natural evolutionary pressure, nothing government, of course. But, so here's the thing to remember. When it comes to um, the transfer of Western technology, you get a massive population growth. And then what happens is when inclement weather or bad politics or a combination of the two comes along, a lot of people starve. And the reason that you see them starving is because they didn't die before they were five of malnutrition. And now they're dying at 30, which is a whole other thing. It's much more visible and it's much more painful and it's much right because you see it. It's the same reason why if you look, oh my gosh, you know, there's these children who are working so hard in the Industrial Revolution, you know, their faces were black with soot and they were being stuffed up chimneys. And I think it was Charles Dickens who was working at an inkbottling plant for 12 hours a day. Or, and you say, oh my gosh, that's terrible, it's horrible, it's horrifying, wretched. It's like, well, but those children are alive rather than dead. And that visible suffering is the hallmark of progress. Because when children would die out in the countryside, there was no record of it. There were no photos. There were no newspaper writers examining the conditions of their labor. They just died out there. And so with child labor, children survive, but they work. And the reason why they survive is because they work and that produces enough value and, and money so that the children can live. But instead of children, like 50% of kids used to die before the age of five, right? So instead of the kids dying out in the middle of nowhere where you can't track them, the kids are dying in front of you and they're being worked in front of you. And so you think that the suffering has increased, but it's not. The suffering actually decreased for children during the Industrial Revolution because it was better to be working than to be dead. And we know that because children chose to work rather than kill themselves. And again, you can say, oh, well, that's really, really harsh, but that's, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this really, really harsh. It's like, it's a visible form of harshness that is actually part of progress. You know, it's actually part of progress. You know, I got, I had cancer six or seven years ago. And so I'm going to get old with any luck. And I'm going to get wrinkled and my body's going to fail and then I'm going to die. And it's like, well, that's really harsh. It's like, well, yeah, because I survived cancer. It's a good thing that it's harsh to get old. It's a really good thing. I don't complain about the aches and pains. I have a few. I don't complain about the aches and pains because I know the alternative is staring at a coffin with sightless eyes while maggots drill into my brain. Big feast. Big feast, I believe. But anyway, so... With the Bengal famine, the population of India, of course, had exploded as largely as a result of Western technology and, and sanitation and, and transportation and so on. And then they had really, really bad weather. They had a drought. Is it Church's fault that there was a drought? I mean, the man drank, but he didn't drink India dry. And he tried to divert ships from the intense war effort that was occurring and he, to bring grain to the Bengalis. And he got some there. But of course, here's the thing, right? And you can say, oh, it was corruption. But if you get a whole bunch of grain that comes into your port and you're the port administrator, you're the local bureaucrats and so on, of course, you're going to snatch it for yourself and for your family. And then you might sell it on the black market and, and so on, right? And so a lot of some of the grain just couldn't get there because of the war. And some of the grain, a lot of the grain that got there 
were simply stolen or absconded with or taken by the bureaucrats and so on. And there was a terrible uh, famine. And people say, ah, oh, yes, well, been, sorry, there was a terrible drought. And people say, ah, oh, yes, well, there have been droughts before. And it's like, yes, but the combination of drought plus a vastly increased population plus a corrupt local bureaucracy plus a world war, well, that has a lot to do with it. So, no. Based on Watch the Poland Dark, it's amazing. Yes. Yes, it is. Nice plywood, Steph. <laughs> well, is it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, getting old sucks, but it sure beats the alternative, right? All right. Have I ever seen the G. Edward Griffin YouTube video from 1969 warning about communism? No, I haven't. And I haven't watched the best enough stuff as much as I should. So I should uh, do that. Lauren Southern has deleted all her tweets. So? There are her tweets. Yes. Anti an anti-Semite one day a Zionist the next. You people need to stick to one story. <laughs> That's right. Um, what do you think of Michelle Malkin? Is she too fact-based to be popular? I mean, she's incredible. She's a force of nature. I mean, the woman is, uh, has got incredible courage. And, um, I mean, her speeches on immigration, her, her work on uh, exposing the, the visa racket, her work, uh, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. And um, so, yeah, I mean, she's definitely worth, worth following, uh, definitely worth following. Oh, why don't you debate Nick Fuentes? Oh, John. Oh, God, man. I don't even know how to tell you this. Just stop being stupid. I'm sorry to be so harsh, man. Stop being stupid. We have we have bigger enemies that, like, this, oh, why don't you debate someone who, who disagrees with you on X, Y, and Z? It's like, you, you know if the communists win, we're all going to fucking gulags, right? Like, you know that is the reality of the situation. So, I don't know, trying to wedge fight Nick Fuentes and I, and it's like, you know, Nick Fuentes is not going to send me to a fucking gulag, okay? He's not. You may disagree with the guy, the stuff I don't agree with him on, but he's not sending me to a fucking gulag. I'm not sending you to a gulag. So how about you man the fuck up and start looking at the real enemies that we're facing? Because when you get your ass dragged off to a gulag and they put a 22 between your fucking eyeballs, you're not going to be sitting there saying, well, you know, but there were some differences between Stefan Molyneux and Nick Fuentes that really should have been explored in a debate format. <laughs> Are you fucking stupid? I don't know how to put this any more clearly. I don't know how to put this any more clearly. It's like there's a tiger loose in your fucking house. And you're sitting there saying, well, you know, I could really... I think I need to restring my tennis racket. I could really figure out my basement. That would be really, really helpful and... You know, I have some disagreements about the movie Interstellar with a friend of mine. I really should call him. It's like, you know, there's a fucking tiger in the house. Right? And they're coming for you, and they're coming for me. Don't delude yourself about that. Watch my documentary on Poland. There's a reason I got into such shit for it. Watch my documentary on Hong Kong. They're coming for us. So this, well, why don't you debate this guy? Let me put it to you this way. If he's not going to put me in a fucking gulag, I don't care that much about debating him. Okay? Wake the fuck up. You know, this is, this is a time to really be aware of the danger that is encircling you. 
you know, once the anaconda is like halfway around your fucking net, it's not time to go shopping for a tie and wonder if it clashes with your suit, okay? Please, just fucking stop being stupid, my friend. And, and, and I'm saying this to help you, okay? I'm saying this to fucking help you. I'm saying this to help keep you alive, okay? You know when they get the state. Like, this is why I'm an anarchist, man. Everything that you invent that's going to protect you, you've got to just say, okay, well, what happens when it gets taken over by communists, right? Because that's what happens every single fucking time. Everything. FBI taken over by communists. CIA taken over by communists. Seattle taken over by communists. Higher education taken over by communists. Entertainment industry taken over by communists. The publishing industry taken over by communists. Social media, dot, dot, dot. We'll see, right? So why don't you why don't you stop engaging and opposing the people who are going to throw you into gulags and start engaging and fighting with people who aren't going to throw you into gulags? How fucking stupid can you be? I mean, I don't mean to, like, I know you're not stupid, but you need to wake the fuck up about what's going on in the world. And I don't know, maybe you're a communist who's trying to provoke fights about between people who aren't going to throw me into gulags, okay? This is my, this my big, it's not the highest bar in the world, you know? If you're not going to throw me in a gulag, I'm not really going to fight with you, okay? It's kind of important, okay? So I just really want to point that out. I don't know how to... You know, the, the narcissism of petty differences is not a, a particular concern to me. You know, if, if you're on a bong run to save your civilization, you don't say to the pilot, you know, hey, man, we got different taste in music. we got to fight about this. Like, I'm sorry, I don't know what the hell you need to talk about this stuff for. I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound overly impatient, but, you know, the stakes are pretty pretty fucking high, okay? How are you an anarchist? Um, okay, so... Um, that, you, you know, there's not anarchism that you're seeing in the Chaz, or the Chop, they're calling it now, which is, again, uh, you know, they're talking about the French Revolution... They killed us in the French Revolution, right? So when, when people, like when communists start talking about the French Revolution, they killed freethinkers, they killed atheists, they killed priests, they killed nuns, they killed aristocracy, they killed... Because communism is a revolt of the below average against everyone else, right? It is, um, you know, smart people create a civilization which keeps less smart people alive, and then sophists come along and tell the less smart people that the really smart people are exploiting them, and everything just goes to shit, right? This is the basic cycle of, of civilization, right? While we have a state, right? What's going on in Chaz? Nothing to do with anarchism. Nothing to do with... I mean, they may call themselves anarchists, but they call themselves anarchists like fucking Sid Vicious called himself an anarchist. It's just like brain-dead posing nonsense, right? So, Chaz, uh, anarchism is without rulers... And it means that there's no centralized coercive control of your society. There's no state. you got to think of the state to society is slavery to economics, right? It's, it's really a violation. Slavery is a violation of economics because supply and demand is killed at the human capital level. And so a consistent application of the non-aggression principle means no government because government is the initiation of force, taxation is theft, and I know it's hard to picture a society without a government, but trust me, it's equally easy to predict, a, to, to, it was e equally hard to predict a society 
without slavery because it was everywhere, always, all throughout human institutions. It was also impossible, really, to figure out what a society would look like with the separation of church and state, which had never occurred before, except maybe a little bit at the hinterlands of, of the Roman Empire and so on. But that was largely out of indifference. So the consistent application of the non-aggression principle is in the state. Now, the consistent application of the non-aggression principle rests on property rights. Property rights is you own yourself and you own the effects of your actions. And you can't argue against it because, let's say I say, you own yourself and you own the effects of your actions. And then you say, Steph, your argument is wrong. You just identified my argument as the effect of my actions of speaking. So I own the effects of my actions, which is my argument. It's one of these UPB things you cannot argue against self-ownership and owning the effects of your actions. Because you actually have to identify the person who made the argument and argue back against that person, which is affirming that they own themselves and own the effects of their actions, right? So you can't argue against You can try, but you'll just, you just fail. And anybody who wants to get anywhere in life has to step over these smoking craters of self-detonating arguments and actually get on with shit, right? Because everybody wants to get paralyzed at the beginning, right? Which is why everybody gets fucked up about the beginning of UPB, that you can't argue against UPB without using UPB. So anyway, um, so what's happening, so you have to just look at look at what's happening in chances. If anything, is it, are they respecting property rights? No. No, the whole thing is founded upon a giant nine-block theft, right? They stole the entire neighborhood. They have stolen all of the public works there. And you say, oh, well, the public works were paid for by taxes and so on. Yeah, but not by these guys' taxes, right? They've, they've um, uh, destroyed people's freedom of movement. They have uh, stolen nine city blocks uh, through violence. This is more direct theft than the state is even capable of because with the state you have recourse to laws and so on and, and courts to protect yourself. And so uh, that's number one they stole the entire area. And people say, ah, oh, yes, well, but the Americans came and stole the whole lot, right? Uh, the natives, like, no, because this was an agricultural society versus a hunter-gatherer society, and you're always going to end up with collisions because the hunter-gatherer society doesn't have property rights in land. They only have very, ab very loosey-goosey property rights in the hunt and the kill. And uh, so that's just land property rights versus game property rights. Uh, there's always this conflict in society and... It wasn't like the natives were each respecting each other's property rights because they had genocides and kept slaves so, um, and stole each other's goods and property and women. Rape as a weapon of war was common in the indigenous population. So just to look at it, Chaz, the whole thing is founded upon a, a violation of property rights. They've stolen nine city blocks and um, they've restricted people's freedom of movement and they've destroyed the property values of the people in there because they can't sell their homes anymore, right? So yeah, it's pure pure theft, pure intimidation, pure uh, violence to start it. Um, they're also massively subsidized by money coming in from outside. And the money that's coming in from outside, particularly through Jenny, I think is the name of the rather brain-dead mayor of Seattle. But uh, yeah, they're getting massive resources being uh, uh, dropped in from, from outside. And those resources are coming from the state, which took it, took those resources from taxpayers at the point of a gun. So it was founded on theft, it's being maintained by theft, and it's being subsidized and supported through theft. So the idea this has anything to do with principled anarchy is completely uh, ridiculous. So, Yeah, and apparently, uh, if, if secession is now, is now a good thing, I guess everybody owes the South a big, uh, a big apology now, don't they, right? Ah, all right. Thank you, Stefan, says American Rose. 
Wayland says, Steph, the way you articulate the many different subjects you cover is captivating and entertaining. Thank you very much. Lisa Brawler says, do you agree that the left was winning due to their social justice warrior moralistic attitude that the right wing lacks? Well, um, of course, Yale needs to be canceled because Yale is named after the founder of, the founder of Yale was a slave owner. In Georgetown, I think it was, paid off their debts by selling hundreds of slaves and so on. So if we're going to start getting rid of slavery stuff, okay, well, uh, Yale has to be renamed. Yale has to be basically shut down. Of course, they won't do it, right? Because, and of course, Muhammad was a slave owner and uh, all of that. Of course, that's all a complete past and it's all just nonsense and garbage, right? It's like this guy um, in, uh, in England, a Libyan uh, refugee. I think he'd be to jail, uh, just stabbed a bunch of people. And uh, let's say that he's a follower of Islam, whatever, whatever he follows, right? So imagine if a bunch of people who listened to me went around stabbing people saying, not an argument, not an argument. Can you imagine the kind of shit that I would get into? This is, I mean, I don't want anybody to do that. Please don't do that. This is why I say to violent and aggressive people, please stay the hell away from my show. Don't want you to have anything to do with my show. Uh, this is a show about philosophy. This is not a show. And you self-defense, no problem. No problem with self-defense. But please do not go out there initiating the use of force. That is absolutely against uh, principle. But um, yeah, can you imagine um, how much they would come down on me like a ton of bricks if I had followers who regularly went out stabbing people saying, not an argument, not an argument. But uh, Allahu Akbar, a whole different situation. Right? Mental illness. Would they say, oh, you know, Steph's followers just mental illness. No, it's just, you know, we need to increase mental illness uh, funding and so on, right? Ah, dear, oh dear. So, yeah, so with regards to uh, the left, the um, slave trader, yeah, slave trader, Yale was a slave trader, I think, much done. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. How many slaves could Black, li could Black Lives Matter have bought freedom for in the Libyan slave market? Oh, yeah, they could have, yeah. Carpet Bomber of Truth says, I'm a Jewish and becoming anti-Semitic due to so many leftist Jewish people. Am I wrong? Look, I mean, yeah, there are leftist Jewish people, but there are also very honorable Jewish people on the right. And as I've always said, many of the intellectuals who led me to free markets and who led me to voluntarism and so on were Jewish. And so, and a bunch of others uh, with, with the guys of self-knowledge, Nathaniel Brandon was Jewish. So a lot of the people who kind of led me to the free market and, and all of that, Jewish, Jewish thinkers. And whether they were secular Jewish, mostly secular Jews, I, I, would, I think so, right? So it is, um, it, it is important to, to really, really recognize that because the Jews are very talented intellectually, particularly with regards to language, you're going to find them on all the mountaintops, right? On the mountaintops of the left, on the mountaintops of the right, on the mountaintops of voluntarism, on the mountaintops of just about anything, you're going to find, and it's just really, really important to remember, remember all of that. Um, so just, just remember that. Do you think there might come a time the West will need a Pinochet? So I hope with all my heart that this can be, this can be avoided. And this is one of the reasons why I work so hard to try and uh, keep this from happening. Um, Yes, what Mike Cernovich says. I kind of like civilization. I like being able to have a nice chat with you guys. I like, um, I like, I haven't had a latte for months. And when I finally had one, it was like, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> that's pretty nice. I don't want to, 
I don't want to be sitting on my porch with a shotgun in my hand hoping I make it through the night. That's not a fun life at all. I mean, necessary, but it's not a fun life at all. So we have an incredible opportunity at the moment that we should really treasure. And the opportunity is that we have instant social media, high-def video sharing, everything that's going on these days. We never have had the chance to see the germination of a communist society in the past. You know, it's always just been happening somewhere over the world and uh, on the other side of the world and so on, or maybe we hear about it later, or, you know, it's a sudden coup and then the communication shut down and it takes forever to figure out the facts, you know. It took until the Venona papers were released to the um, unencrypted Soviet cables back and forth to the State Department and other places in America. It took until the 90s to completely validate Joseph McCarthy and actually real, have people realize Joseph McCarthy vastly underestimated the amount of Soviet uh, infiltration into American life. So, you know, that's 40, 50 years, right? And by then, McCarthy had gone to an early grave as a result, I think, of stress and pressure of, of people attacking him and, and uh, dragging him in front of various congressional committees and so on about complete nonsense about whether he gave some guy a hat in the military to keep him warm, all this kind of garbage, right? And um, and by then, of course, Nixon. Nixon was um, was joined at the hip with McCarthy in trying to root out communists. And so, of course, when Nixon got into power, to some degree, as a result of the communist insurgencies that occurred in the 1960s in America, you know, four dead in Ohio. And so Nixon, the, the, the Watergate thing was, pay, was payback for Nixon being part of the McCarthyist uprooting or, or infiltration or, or attempting to get these people out of, or at least identified, uh, out, out of Hollywood and out of uh, the um, academia and so on, right? And there was massive, massive pro-Soviet propaganda coming out of the, uh, the Marxists in, in Hollywood. And, and uh, uh, Whitaker Chambers uh, has written an entire book, this incredible book about, he was a communist who then uh, left communism, joined Christianity, and outed Alger Hiss as a Soviet spy. And the New York Times still seems to be confused about this, but Alger Hiss was definitively identified as a Soviet spy by the Venona Papers, by the Russian decrypted Soviet cables and so on. And so it's always been such like a half century lag between McCarthyism and the Venona Papers or 40 years or whatever, right? And by then all the damage is done and, and now we have a real time revolution. We can in real time see what the communists want. We can at real time see this insurgency. We can see the flames. We can see the patterns. We can read. We don't need 40 years for the decrypted cables. Just read their fucking Twitter feeds. I mean, they want to kill people. A lot, a lot of people, and you know, it's it's not a political philosophy. It's 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 just sadism masquerading as a political philosophy. It's sadism, and a lot of pedophilia involved because in the chaos of of um, communism, you can you know you can go and rape a bunch of kids, right? and and no one can really say anything to you, and so on. Look at the chaos of like uh, the British elites. Um, if you look at all of the, uh, the child rape that's been occurring among the Pakistani immigrants into England. Uh, well, uh, there's a lot of pedophiles high up in British society, so of course they don't mind bringing these people in because they can all pass around these little British girls, these little white girls, these little Sikh girls and others, right? Uh, it's uh, it's an unholy uh, conflagration of powerful uh, child rapists in Western society and uh, child rape-friendly immigrant cultures, not religion, but cultures. And uh, so it's pretty 
uh, it's a pretty nasty, it's pretty, pretty bad forces that we're, we're facing, right? So hopefully uh, people will recoil from the creeping poisonous viper teeth of advancing communism because, you know, creeping socialism used to be the phase. Well, it ain't creeping anymore. Now it's like full-on World War Z tackle stuff, right? So hopefully people will listen to me. Hopefully will people will listen to other communists. And, and you can find us. Uh, so you can find the anti-communists because we're all referred to as racists in Wikipedia, right? That's, that's how you can find us. It's a very good search term. And so if we, if the combination of robust theory, good communication skills, and the endless evidence piling in from social media and videos, if that's enough to have people pull back, great. If we can get people to stop going to universities, um, if you can get people to, I mean, just you got to take a stand in your life, man. If people support the communists, they're going to get you killed. Like, I'm, I'm not kidding. Here's the thing, too. Like, there's no turning back. Because if you've posted stuff, you know, even if you delete it now, I mean, stuff's all been archived, everything's been saved, everything's been kept. So, like, the lines have been drawn. There's no hiding now. You can't sort of say, I'm one with the revolution, you know, solidarity, Reg, uh, Life of Brian style. You, you can't do it anymore. Like, I mean, sorry, <laughs> you've, you, you, you've listened to me. You've clicked on my, I'm sorry, you've clicked on my timeline. Like, I, we're all in this together now, man. And if there are people who are still you know, pro-left, and I hesitate to say pro-Democrat because God knows the Republicans are almost as bad, but the Democrats have been thoroughly infiltrated by the Marxists. So if people are still pro-Democrat, they're going to they're gonna get you in serious trouble. They're, they're going to get you fired. They're, they're going to get you um, deplatformed. They're going to get you you know, a long time down the road, if the gulags reemerge, as they always do in communism, they're going to find you. And trust me, they've archived everything. They they know everything. There's not. They're going to have all the search tools developed by the free market and so on. So you got to take a stand with your friends and family, man. You got to take a stand. They they're really going to get you in trouble in serious trouble. 